Hello, podcast world. I have spent considerable time in the past couple of weeks reading and studying about the kingdom of God. And believe me, it has been fascinating. I've read through every passage in the New Testament that mentions the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and together there are like close to 80 of them. And after all that study, if you ask me to tell you what the kingdom of God is, I would say it's all pretty confusing. That's what it is. And the truth is that I think the New Testament writers were pretty much confused as well. Welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but Rather Uncertain. Before I get going and forget, let me remind you that if you want to be a part of the work of this podcast, you can do so by making a small donation at Patreon. Patreon is basically a crowdsourcing site for artists and musicians and podcasters, really anybody creating content. You can donate anything starting at a dollar a month. And of course, it works from anywhere in the world, even here in South Africa. It just means that one month your dollar might cost you 17 rands, and the next month it might only be 16 rands, but I'm sure you get the idea. If you can help out an old retired guy, it would be fantastic. But please don't feel any pressure. I am just glad you have clicked on this podcast today. But one thing that I am certain about when it comes to the kingdom of God is that it has nothing to do with raising money. So let's get right into it. After I hit publish on my last podcast, I had real second thoughts. I mean, what if I am totally wrong about all this? I mean, I might be, you know. After all, the title of this podcast does include the words rather uncertain. So I started to try to find other writers that might have written something similar on this subject, and guess what I found? Nothing. Nobody. Then I really started to question myself. But then the more I looked, the more convinced I was that I just might be on the right track. In the first episode, I was questioning the idea of the kingdom of God being hierarchy. See, I had always taught that the kingdom of God is the place where God rules and reigns. In other words, it's a hierarchy. There's a ruler and there are subjects. But I have the feeling that the kingdom of God is much more relational than it is hierarchical. I think it's about our relationship to God, but also about our relationships to each other and our relationship to the earth, to the world around us. So let me start by talking a little more about this idea of hierarchy. I think we want the kingdom of God to be a hierarchy because it's the only way that we know how to live. I would suggest that that is a very human idea, a man-made idea, because it's the way 
we've learned to organize ourselves. Somebody has to be in charge or there's chaos. There have to be laws. There have to be courts. There have to be rules. But what if we are creating the kingdom of God in our own image? What if our view of the kingdom of God is a very man-made view? What if what Jesus had in mind when he spoke of it was much grander, more beautiful, and way more original than we could have ever imagined or thought? And I'm afraid that's exactly what we have done. We hear the word kingdom and we say, oh, I know what a kingdom is. There is a king and there are subjects. The king calls the shot and the subjects submit. And so the kingdom of God is just a little bit better version of our own kingdoms. But what if the kingdom of God looks much more like the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no hierarchy there. Or what if the kingdom of God looks much more like the relationship between God and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? No hierarchy there. But wait, you say, didn't God say, don't eat from that tree or I will punish you? Well, not exactly. God said, don't eat of that tree because it'll kill you. It will bring death. You don't have to have a hierarchy to have consequences for actions. But what we see in the garden were these perfect, open, authentic relationships between God and humanity, not some kind of hierarchical structure. When you read all the passages that speak of the kingdom of God, it seems like the New Testament has one phrase for a lot of different things. On one hand, it seems like the kingdom of God is only found in the hereafter, in the sweet by and by, as the old gospel song puts it. It seems like it's something that we are trying to attain, something we are trying to achieve after we die. Other times, it seems like the kingdom is already here. It's already come. It was, it was there in the first century, on the ground and happening. Sometimes the kingdom of God is an earthly kingdom, and sometimes it's this mystical, spiritual thing. Sometimes we are waiting for it, and sometimes it's something we are working towards. The text seems to be all over the place on this subject. Certainly at the time of Jesus, people, including the disciples, interpreted the kingdom of God as an earthly kingdom that would destroy and replace the kingdom of Rome. It was going to be a political revolution. That's exactly why the Romans were quite happy to execute Jesus, they could care less that the Jewish leaders were offended by his message, but he was threatening Rome and their way of life, and that was just unacceptable. I would imagine that the kingdom of God is a bit of all of that. 
I imagine it's not something that is as easy to define as we would like it to be. It's a bit mystical and yet very practical. It's now, but it's also then. It's in you, but it's also out there. It's something that we must work towards, but it's also something that God produces in us. It's the place where love and grace abound and where justice flows like a river. Jesus did his best to help us understand it by telling us stories, parables that illustrated at least one aspect of the kingdom of God. Last episode, we looked at the idea that the kingdom of God was something that grows from the inside out. And today I want to look at a parable in Matthew chapter 20. I'm sure that many of you know this parable, but for those that do, just bear with me for a few minutes while I read it out loud. It comes from Matthew 20, and these are the words of Jesus. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some people standing around and he asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one has hired us. The landowner told them, go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those he hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those who were hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only an hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last... Now will be first, and those who are first will be last. Most of us have read this parable as being a picture of the amazing grace of God. A God that shows no favorites. A God that bestows grace on everybody, even when it doesn't make sense. In 1997, Philip Yancey came out with this wonderful, wonderful book entitled, So What's So Amazing About Grace? It was fresh and new and 
absolutely fantastic. I read it several times, and I encouraged everybody around me to read it. He coined this idea, the scandal of grace. He spoke of how hard it was for us to really understand grace because it's scandalous. It makes no sense to us. We have often interpreted this parable with the scandal of grace in mind. I think it's a beautiful interpretation of this parable and one that's worth exploring, but I don't think it's the best interpretation. Jesus didn't say, here's a parable about who God is. He said, this is a parable about how the kingdom of God works and what life looks like in the kingdom. Quite a number of years ago now, I heard a great sermon by a pastor in Michigan by the name of Jeff Mannion. I even stole it and preached it a few times. He used this parable and spoke of how we so often compare ourselves to others. In his interpretation, we are the field workers, and the owner of the field is God. He used the illustration of children and bowls of ice cream. He spoke of how a child looks into a bowl of another child and says, you got more ice cream than I did. It's what we so often do with God. We look at others and we think God has shortchanged us. Somehow God has held out on me. They have more. They're better looking. They're smarter. What is up with that? It's just like I've been laboring the field all day and they've done almost nothing and yet you gave them the same amount. And in Jeff's sermon... It all comes down to this line at the end where the vineyard owner says, or God says, are you jealous because I'm so generous? That sermon, that interpretation of this parable was just what I needed at the time. It was incredibly helpful. And I go back to it now and then when I feel like God has somehow held out on me. Now, I think Jeff's interpretation is a better interpretation of this parable than just that it's about God's grace, because it does put me in the parable. It has to do with how I treat other people, how I relate to people around me. But let me throw out another interpretation that from where I sit might actually be better In just about every interpretation of this parable that I've heard, the vineyard owner represents God. But what if the vineyard owner is me? The clue to that might be in the very last line of the parable, but I'll come back to that in a minute. If I'm the vineyard owner then everything about the parable changes. See, if God is the vineyard owner, then it's easy just to say, wow, what an amazing God we have. Isn't grace wonderful? But if I'm the owner, then what is Jesus saying? Is this how I'm supposed to treat people? Is this how I'm supposed to think about the world? 
Is this how life works in the kingdom of God? Everybody is equal? There's so much talk and debate around how we treat the materially poor in our world. At what point does my generosity actually hurt rather than help? If I'm giving help to somebody today and a year from now they still need my help, am I actually just keeping them in poverty? Is there a better way to do this? These questions and these discussions are so incredibly important. We must engage in them and learn how to care for people well. But I think that for a lot of Christians, that is actually not the problem. The problem is not too much poorly placed generosity, but rather very little generosity. Here in South Africa, we are surrounded by both poverty and wealth. The disparity between the rich and poor is greater in South Africa than anywhere else in the world. At every stoplight, which we call robots, by the way, here, but at every one, there is someone there begging for money or begging for food. When you walk through town, people come up to you and ask you for help. When I was working in church world, Almost every day, someone came to our door asking for help. And as the pastor, it was often my job to meet with them and hear their stories and see how we could help. Often the stories were long and complicated. And sometimes they were different than the story the same person told me the week before. I would so often sit wondering if I was just getting scammed. In fact, I felt like I was getting scammed because it's so easy to get so cynical when you sat through story after story after story. But if I'm the vineyard owner in this parable, then it challenges the way that I think. It tells me that the kingdom of God is about seeing people differently. It's about the kingdom of God challenging the way I actually see people. There's a lot of debate all over the world around the idea of minimum wage. South Africa just imposed, believe it or not, just imposed its first ever minimum wage at the beginning of 2019. And the minimum wage here is about half of what the living wage is for a family of four. In the USA, it changes from state to state, but the national minimum wage is still well below what a living wage is. During this recent COVID crisis that we're in, I've heard both here in South Africa and in the States, people complaining, I mean, Christian people, I might add, complaining that some people were making more money on handouts from the government than they were on their jobs. 
If we do that, they say people won't want to go back to work. They'll just live on the handouts. That seems to be the opposite of what Jesus is teaching in this parable. Now, I know these are deeply contentious political subjects, and I'm not trying to get in a political debate here about minimum wage or a debate on socialism versus capitalism, but I can promise you I do have an opinion on those subjects, as you can imagine. But I think this view of the kingdom of God has to enter the conversation. See, my point is this. What if we were actually guided by this parable? What if our thinking around these issues was guided by this picture of what the kingdom of God looks like? Jesus ends this parable with a statement that comes like out of left field. It seems like a little bit out of context. I've so often heard this verse quoted, but rarely in the context of this parable. It's usually just by itself. So Jesus says this, So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. So what the heck is Jesus on about? I think he's saying that we have to turn this whole thing upside down. We have to start seeing the world differently because the way we see the world when it comes to these issues of finance and how we treat people is not the way the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is the opposite of how we think it works. See, here's what I see in the vineyard owner. He's a man who cares more about the people than he does about his own money. I love that at five o'clock in the evening, he still sees people who aren't working and he offers them a job. It's like he's going to town every few hours through the day just because he's on a mission to make sure everybody is working, to make sure everybody is cared for. If nobody else will hire you, then I will. It's themes that his bottom line is how many people he can put to work rather than having some kind of financial bottom line. Because let's face it, to pay people that own for a whole day that only do an hour's work doesn't seem very practical. In fact, it seems upside down. It seems for this vineyard order that the people are more important than the financial viability of the vineyard. Now, I get that there isn't a simple solution here. I get that there is a principle of hard work in the Bible, that the worker is worthy of his hire. I understand that a man that doesn't take care of his family is not worth much. Laziness is frowned on in the Bible. I'm good with all of that. See, this parable isn't necessarily telling us how we must do things. It's not a plan or rule book. It's telling us how we must think about things how we must see the world. It tells us what the kingdom of God is like. My friends, we 
are the vineyard owners in this story. For those of you that employ people, do you see how little you can pay them? Or you do what do you do everything you possibly can to pay them a living wage or more? What is the disparity between what you earn and what they earn? These are hard questions, but they are the questions that this parable demands we ask of ourselves. Because of our baby house, we have a group of people that work for us, some part-time, some full-time. So these are questions I have to ask myself, and they are hard, complex questions. In South Africa, most white people have someone come in and clean their house or work in their gardens at least a day a week. So if that's you, how are you paying them? I know for a fact that many of these people are not even getting minimum wage, let alone a living wage. Have you done the work, the research, to know what a living wage actually is for those that work for you? I had a pastor friend years ago that used to say, now you stop preaching and gone to meddling. I think this parable about what the kingdom of God looks like is meddling. Meddling in the way that we act, in the way that we think. I don't think it's just a beautiful picture of the amazing grace of God, but it challenges me to see the world differently, and it challenges me to act differently. And I hope and pray that this challenges you in the same way. I promise you, that even as I have prepared this, it's been complex and it's been difficult. I want to think like that vineyard owner. I want to live with that kind of open generosity and grace. Well, that's it for today, but please don't forget to check out my Patreon page sometime if you can help out. There are a couple more of these parables that I want to jump into next time, and I've saved the most controversial for last, so keep an eye out. On most platforms that you listen to this podcast on, there's some kind of a subscribe button. If you hit that, then these podcasts will automatically get loaded into your library every time, and you'll never miss an episode. So until next time, stay safe. Shalom. Shalom.